thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 420. Today, I'm going to talk to Matthias Einig about controlling cloud sprawl, recorded live July the 29th, 2021. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software, and what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it, right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as $4 a month. And now, back to the show. All right, good morning or good afternoon or good evening wherever you are, everybody. It's just CJ here running sort of solo this week. AC is off sunning himself somewhere on vacation, so I'm uh, I'm running the show this week. I can do whatever I want, right? But in all seriousness, I'm not completely solo this week. I'm being joined by a wonderful friend and colleague, Matt Einig, who is the CEO of Rencore. He's a Microsoft MVP, and Rencore focus on governance and security and compliance and have a whole bunch of work they've been doing over the last couple of years in this space. So I sat down with him early this morning to talk to him about their journey as Rencore, where they've come from, what they've focused on in the past for products you might have heard of around from the early days of SharePoint around SPCAF and SPCOP and so forth, um, through to what they're doing today with governance products. So it's a fascinating conversation. They've been really busy working on the stuff for a couple of years, and have recently, and I believe it was in January, started a beta of it, or a preview, and are now in prod. So these are products you can go and play with, learn more about, obviously, and take a look at. And so, yeah, I got to sit down with Matt to talk through kind of what it's all about, how it can help organizations and managing their cloud sprawl. As we all go to Office 365 and into the cloud, there's a whole lot of things that are easier for users to create. And that's great. They're able to collaborate more easily and get their jobs done more effectively, especially in the crazy world that we've had over the last 18 months with remote working and being disconnected more than ever from our employees and our colleagues and so forth. So 
uh, it's obviously important to be able to get your job done in those situations and creating sites and teams and collaborative spaces and things are all a part of that. But obviously there's the flow-on effect of that of what happens with your your data accumulation over time and how do you manage that. And so, yeah, that's the main topic of today's conversation with Matt. So I hope you enjoy it. Please give us a shout out on Twitter. The link to Matt's Twitter is in the show notes and then go visit their site to want, if you want to learn more. But without further ado, here is Matt on helping control cloud sprawl. This episode is brought to you by Geomont. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner part of the technology adoption program and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. Back to the show. All right, well, welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you for having me, CJ. Happy to be here. Yeah, so for those of the listeners who haven't met you in person at one of the shows that we've all been to what feels like many moons ago now, I guess <laughs> 18 months or more ago, so Matt, you're the CEO of Rencore and have been involved in the SharePoint space and Office 365 space for many, many years, dating back to full trust code, so much so that you built a tool to help all of those out there who have ever dealt with full trust code to understand their code better and things like that. So, but for those who haven't heard about Rencore and about yourself, would you spend just a moment introducing yourself to our listeners and a little bit about what you guys do? Sure, happy to do so. So my name is Matthias Einig, or for short, Matt. I started with SharePoint in 2005. So I was a SharePoint developer. So not one directly with the Toho, but I think my first project was on SharePoint Portal Server 2003. So it was totally fun. And I was a developer, so I built... Yeah, full trust code on top of it. And as you probably remember, CJ, it was not fun, fun no. building on top of SharePoint. So I was working together with my, actually my co-founder at that time. And it all began that we realized, okay, building for SharePoint is really, really hard work. And a lot of things mm. can go wrong, especially declarative code at the time and yeah, also the full trust code itself. Mm. So we started actually with another tool, which was called the SharePoint Software Factory. I don't know if you mm. remember that one. That was a, a CodePlex project at the time. So it was a, a used guidance automation extensions for Visual Studio and basically right. it was a bunch of wizards where you could generate code portions for your SharePoint products. And okay. yeah, it was quite powerful and we built quite some, yeah, several years on that and then we realized also, okay, well, on the one hand, helping developers to build code is only part of the story. At the end, we also want to make sure that what they've built is still good quality, secure, performant, and so on, because a lot of things still 
can go wrong, of course. And that is where our tool, we called it at the time, the SharePoint COP, mm -hmm. similar to FX COP at the time. So, And then later on, we renamed it to the SharePoint Code Analysis Framework because we did also other things like uh, metrics on the code and dependency analysis and all that stuff. So we built this actually for ourselves to make our life easier in our own consulting projects. Uh, somehow our customers who were larger enterprises um, yeah, got wind of it and basically asked us, hey, um, can we buy, buy this? And we said, mm, okay, we didn't really think about that. And this is actually <laughs> how, how we decided, um, I, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's uh, found a company, um, try to sell it. And at, at the end, it worked out quite well. So I'm not... not yeah, I mean, so uh, many great products come from you having the problem and solving it and then yeah. others going, hey, can... Can we have some of that? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it wasn't really good, and uh, well, we had not really much of a clue at the time. So, how do we do pricing? How do, do we distribute it? Um, what is actually the what is it actually that customers want, and so on? So, we learned a lot throughout the years, and but we company was quite successful. So, Renko was founded in 2013. Um, then, originally in Sweden, because I was living in Sweden at the time. Gotcha. And founding companies in Sweden is so much easier than in Germany. So mm. it's just basically nice. an, an email if you want. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I remember I remember rejoining Microsoft in I think it was 2013. Must have been about that same time. True, yeah. And you know, one of the problems we were facing was how to get companies feeling confident about their migration of code. Mm. Right. And I remember we were talking or I think it was maybe Jeremy and yourself were talking way back about getting SP Cop into more people's hands. And uh, so it was, yeah, that was when I first came across, I think, one of your first, one of your products at least at the time. We built on that actually, on that idea that we discussed there. We built, we built at the time then later a transformation product, mm. which uh, was transforming code from full trust to at the time add-ins or also uh, later SPFX and so on. So, yeah. But of course, there are limitations on what you can transform code to because, well, at the end, it's not a one-to-one -one match in a, this line of code trip. goes yeah. to that line of code. Yeah, but it um, was an interesting time and um, we built on that as well and built a migration assessment product later on that helped mm -hmm. organizations who want to get rid of all their customizations or want to move from on-prem in uh, into the cloud to identify what their... Uh, roadblocks are basically and um, how hard and how or, or how easy it is to migrate from specific sites from on-prem to the cloud mm. and, and that worked out quite well as well we, we use basically the same technology and our knowledge to give customers guidance and help them not to run into um, the migration problems later on when the migration is already fully running and um, then suddenly they realize oh what is this? Uh, there's a uh, there's an application or a customization. We didn't know that this even existed, and kind uh, migrate, suddenly, yeah. And then and then suddenly they ran out of, uh, over budget over over time and so on. So knowing more before you start the migration gives you a better yeah start for planning. To know where the skeletons are. <laughs> mm, indeed, indeed, yeah. 
<laughs> there are a lot usually in these on-prem farms, especially the ones that have been uh, upgraded many times. Sometimes people don't have the source code anymore, which right. is also what we right. could do. So we could decompile the code and uh, okay. allow people to yeah view what was written originally. Right, right. How's that going, do you think? You probably have some visibility given your line of work into how that migration is going to the cloud and how much of that stuff people are still moving from on-prem. Is it, would you say it's, um, would you sort of say it's plateauing these days or are there still plenty of people that are that are trying to move a bunch of those sorts of things from on-prem? I think it's, uh, yeah, quite regional. So I don't have that much insight in the US. I think in the US, uh, from what I see is Primarily the really large complex farms that are still stuck on-prem gotcha. and um, where they uh, roll out some kind of hybrid solution and slowly decommission what they have basically in their on-prem world. When I look at Germany, for example, or in general, the, the Dach region, so Germany, mm-hmm. Switzerland and Austria, then, yeah, let's say Germans have been very hesitant with the cloud, uh, also yep, with yep. the whole data privacy uh, topics, mm-hmm. GDPR and so on. Especially in Germany, data privacy is like, uh, with that argument, you can kill basically anything, data privacy, and then, mm. yeah, nothing moves forward anymore. That has changed a bit uh, thanks to the pandemic. So mm. um, the the German organizations realized, okay, their own infrastructure is too slow to adapt to these changes that were needed. So they quickly rolled out teams and uh, eventually everything that goes along with it um, and basically pushed also a country like Germany much quicker into the uh, cloud. But uh, I think there's still a lot a lot uh, work necessary here. So a, right. a lot of organizations uh, haven't done that and don't have a plan yet or still need to plan how to get rid of their on-prem stuff. So I don't have an overall understanding how this is worldwide, but I know at least from these markets that it can be quite different. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's that's, that's fascinating about the pandemic pushing organizations and, and accelerating their plans uh, or lack of plans, I guess, mm, in some guess cases. So. <laughs> so you focused a lot on, at least in Rencore's early days, on helping people move to the cloud, right? Get code migrated, feel confident about their migrations, and things like that. So now we're we you know we're much more firmly planted in the cloud world, but that comes with its own set of problems, right? We've got you can't just move a mess from on-prem to the cloud and suddenly be better, you'll still end up with a mess, right? So it's definitely been you know, noticeable, especially during the pandemic, I guess, that these fast migrations and these fast, the pace of adoption speeding up, that sometimes people don't always have, or companies don't always have the greatest of control over their sprawl, right? And we've got people creating teams and groups and sites and channels and all sorts of stuff up in the cloud now and things go crazy. So what's your take on that? Like, how are you seeing cloud sprawl happening? What are people doing to combat some of that? And where's that balance between allowing it versus tightening it all down, right, on users and not letting them create some of the stuff? Where where do you think we're at right now and where do you think we're heading? I think um, a lot of organizations are just 
now realizing actually that this is a problem so that they have uh, opened the box of pandora and mm. uh, eventually people are adopting all these services and now mm. it realizes okay we have no control at all over that and no no idea actually how to do that so some sort of governance uh, suddenly becomes a relevant topic for many many organizations especially the ones that yeah adopted all these new cloud services in the recent two years basically um, right because they just never, had to i'll never forget when i when i joined microsoft back in 2002 and into sort of the 2005 time frame where sharepoint the early days of sharepoint were really taking off. I was, I was absolutely blown away that inside Microsoft, anybody could just create a site. Like, and there were, I think at the time, there were like 400,000 sites or something like that. It was absurd. There were a lot. And I just remember thinking there was no hierarchy to them. You couldn't find anything. It was search wasn't very good. You had to know the address of sites to go to them and ask people what the address of their site was to go and find the site that they were talking about. And I was just thinking, this is out of control. Like, there's just a ton of this stuff. But there was a certain beauty to it as well, that if I started a project, I could just go create a site and, and start using it to put documents and collaborate with people and things like that. And so, you know, Microsoft took the side of the seesaw was very much on the users can do anything side. But then there were a lot of organizations that were like fill in this form and it goes through an approval process. And you know, you have to you know go through IT to go get a site created and some provisioning process and cataloging process and all of that sort of stuff. And so is that still the case? So where on that balance beam, I guess, or that seesaw, do you think organizations are in, I guess, more modern times than back in 2005? So what I see, I have the feeling that um, organizations are much more open, so uh, more going into the Microsoft direction, maybe not entirely opening it mm. up for everyone. But, um, well, if you recall also, at least in the times when I was doing consulting projects, people didn't really love SharePoint. Uh, on the contrary, there was like, yeah. do you recall there was a, a website that let you vote on what is the crappiest software that you use? And I oh, think really? SharePoint was, <laughs> yeah, it was, there was like in the top five was, I believe, uh, SAP, SharePoint, oh. always, and uh, Lotus, Lotus Notes. And uh, like oh. these, and, and SharePoint was always yeah. in the top five, uh, actually. Wasn't People it, wasn't basically it? hated it, but they had to use it. And I think yeah. nowadays, also by allowing to do more things, of course, the product is much nicer and much easier to use and uh, has, doesn't have as many quirks as it had maybe at that time. But mm. also allowing people to use it as they wish yeah, makes them more happy because they can accomplish things with it and eventually increases adoption within the organization. So Makes I think sense. many organizations have realized that now. And then it comes down to, as you said, on the one hand, then, they might have a provisioning process. I think everyone who has been in SharePoint consulting sometime in his life has built a provisioning tool. There are, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, so I built at, at least three. So <laughs> every go. organization wants a provisioning tool. And there are plenty of solutions out there. Microsoft has its own, you know, in Teams, its own templates and so on. Right. So basically basic approval and so on. But that's only part of the story, of course, um, getting something provisioned. Well, 
if you know the right people, you get it through. <laughs> uh, sure. Nobody really can say no anyway. At the end, it's just making sure that naming and whatever is right. But at the end, it's the life cycle um, of the of the artifact that you're creating. So if you're creating mm. a team or a SharePoint site, well, it might be just for that project. So then what happens afterwards? It just is there and keeps being there. Yeah. As, uh, we at Rancor, we've done... Over the last two and a half years, loads of interviews with our customers and also not yet customers, customers to be, and exactly about these challenges, what they, yeah, what they do, how they address it, what is their pain eventually there, and the life cycle eventually managing that life cycle is one of those mm. this biggest pains. For mm. example, one organization told us, well, their HR department created a team for every single job interview that they did. So hmm. that was like time frame of maybe two to four weeks and then the team was there and they had loads of teams and in there was the all the details about the application. That was a problem for the organization, especially not in every country. You can keep all the application sure. information if mm. the person was declined or so you have to remove that data again at some point. So, uh, and you can imagine how that was an organization of, I don't know, Four or five thousand employees, so you can imagine how many teams they have created in uh, in a short time there. And I think goes to be crazy, of, of course. That's got to be one yeah. of the worst examples well, I've heard. That's when I heard that story, I was quite shocked as well. But um, eventually, yeah, it comes down to okay, you need to identify first. Okay, is this not used anymore? And then find out okay, who's in charge? Get kind of feedback. Okay, do we still need that? Once that person says, okay, we no longer need that, or it can be archived or whatever, then automate the approach to get rid of it. And that's right. that's basically what we learned out of these interviews. It comes down to basically always four steps. Discover what's happening in the, the M365 environment, report on it, so that mm -hmm. you can see, yeah trends, how things are changing, where are problems, check, build checks on basically policies on what do you want and what do you not want in your environment, and then automate the process to decommission or extend, for example, that the, the site remains or um, reassign owners or add additional gotcha. owners, remove external users. All these things, basically impossible for IT to decide but they need, and they don't have the means to automate it somehow to, to let the end users who are in charge decide. And this gotcha. is basically how, how we got yeah, the idea for our governance product that is right. currently that we've launched in February, which is called Rancor Governance. Surprise, surprise. Um, very creative <laughs> name. <laughs> hey, it says what it does on the tin. Uh, exactly. <laughs> That's what we thought as well. Um, it makes it much easier to understand than, I don't know, crazy names like Hyperfish or whatever. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? Although this is exactly what it does. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, uh, no, that's great. So I see. So IT can't manually tackle this problem, right? They've got so many thousands of sites New, they want to allow people, what you're saying is they want to allow people to do their job and to be able to create things and not be the gatekeepers to that because it's just slowing business and, and slowing people's work down. So they want to allow people to be, or very, they're being very permissive about letting people create things, but they also don't want to let go of how that data is managed long term, right? For a variety Eventually. of reasons. 
eventually it all comes down to costs. So the more data you have um, that is not needed, it costs you in general maybe storage, it costs you maybe licensing, it costs you time right. of people not finding the right information or getting maybe the same information but outdated from a different place than they were right. supposed to be. And it costs IT to manage all that. So at the mm. end, all comes down to costs. So you want to focus on setting these, setting up your guidelines and automate the process to involve the end users to eventually manage it themselves based mm. on the rules, on the governance plan that you have built um, for your mm. organization. That's the idea behind of it. So essentially, is this just a giant workflow that runs behind the scenes? Like, you know, when you <laughs> when you go discover a team or something, it essentially goes into like sort of a workflow state, right? It says it's X many years old or months old or what have you, and at a certain point, you need to do these tasks and get these approvals or these checks from particular users about whether the site's still used and things like that. Are those what you mean by the by the sort of the rules that, that the company wants to apply? Eventually, yes. You could consider it like a workflow. The problem is just that the workflow runs quite long and also yes. quite different right. depending on what you're looking at. And it right. might change also in between. So maybe I this see. year this year the organization says every SharePoint site that uh, hasn't been used for half a year should be archived or right. considered for archiving and maybe a new regulation comes out tomorrow that says okay you have to archive at mm. least 10 years um, or have to keep it or whatever. Yep. You get the get the picture so the workflow might be constantly changing and you need to be able to adjust it within the life cycle of whatever you're looking at. Gotcha. I see. So what assets does this do you guys cover? Right. So there's the obvious ones like teams and, and things like that, but there's obviously quite a few different types of data and, and assets and things that can be put into this life cycle. When I go in and, and install your tool or your install, God, I'm dating myself, right? Sign in. <laughs> oh, I guess first up, is it a SaaS offering? Can I just go online and sign in and start using it today? Yes, you can. So it's it's indeed a SaaS offering. And you can just go on the website, log in with your Microsoft account, or if you do not want to share that with us, even with user email password. Right. And uh, you don't even have to connect your tenant right away. So you can play around mm, with demo nice. data. So we have a demo tenant connected. You can just do whatever you want on that, like uh, like it would be your own data, and mm -hmm. get a feeling because a lot of organizations are, of course, hesitant maybe to connect right away to a new tool mm -hmm. that they are just testing out. And, yeah, they want to play. Um, and then you have a 30-day trial. But you can also... It's not only a SaaS offering, so it's also possible that you host it yourself in your own Azure environment. So um, especially larger organizations, gotcha. they or maybe even have a policy against SaaS offerings um, or just don't want a third-party tool to connect to their tenant and scan their data, then it's possible to install the entire application in your own Azure environment, lock it down. Basically, it only needs access to the graph endpoints and all the data is stored in your own Azure subscription and you have full control over updates and whatever you want to do. So yes. that is... We have two models, but the easy way, of course, is just go on, on app.ranko.com, sign in. And Let you guys run it. You're, you're done. Has, of course, also the advantage that we ship updates quite regularly. So mm -hmm. at the moment, I think every other day, 
mm. we ship bug fixes or changes, add-ons, uh, larger feature releases usually every uh, second week. And if you host it yourself and run it yourself, then you have to perform all those updates yourself. Right, um, right. That right. is, of course, yeah. The drawback of doing addition. it yourself. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, maybe you're okay with that. So we have some organizations that have very large tenants and they want to make sure that this runs in their own environment and that's fine. Sure. Um, gotcha, so. gotcha. Sorry, so yeah, we were talking before Services, I mentioned yeah. types of assets. So I go sign in, I go hook it up to my tenant. What would I discover straight out of the gate? What sort of things will it go look for? From a high-level perspective, we connect to services within Microsoft 365. So, of mm -hmm. course, we have Teams, we have SharePoint, we have Power Automate, we have Power Apps, we have mm. M365 Groups, we connect to OneDrive and Azure AD at the moment. And we're working currently on Exchange, Power BI, Yammer, and so on. Basically, the goal is to cover everything. Every service there is in within Microsoft 365 should be governed with it. With it. And we are also planning, for example, separately to allow to govern Azure subscriptions. So then we look into mm -hmm. what an Azure subscription has. So the goal of I the see. tool is eventually to become a cloud governance tool, not a pure M365 governance tool. Gotcha, um, gotcha. If we're talking about which assets, or in our case, we call them entities, then I can give you some examples. So in general, how is this built? We basically have an inventory where we are constantly daily scanning your environment. and We mm -hmm. keep also the history. So you can see mm -hmm. I, um, three weeks ago, we had 15 teams and now we have uh, 30. And three, three were added, 15 were removed, whatever you see, I what see. has changed throughout the time. And um, just to give you an example, so for teams, we, for example, track the teams themselves, the channels, the tabs, the apps, um, and all so the entire audit log for Teams events. For Power Automate, we have the environments, the flows, triggers, actions, connections, and all the runs. So we keep also an indefinite history of flow runs. Power Automate, uh, Power Automate itself only keeps uh, 28 days, I believe. Huh. And what else do we have? SharePoint, yeah, site collections, sites, files, all the files in there we also scan. Um, wow, interesting. Keep in history. So also shared files, with whom they are shared, when they were shared, with whom, by whom, and so on. Gotcha. Um, Quite granular. Same for OneDrive. And then the biggest portion, well, we have Microsoft 365 Groups. So all the users, of course, sure. all groups, all licenses that you mm. have in your environment how they are uh, how many are used or not used or and then in azure id basically everything that you could think of so sign ins role assignments enterprise applications devices audits oauth permission scopes wow it's uh, very granular cli client secrets and so on so each of these is basically an entity for mm. us and they are all connected with each other. So it's its own graph, if you right. want. Um, yep, everything yep. is connected. Based on that, you can build then in our next section checks. So what we didn't call them policies on purpose because you can build basically anything on top of that, of that data that you want to check regularly. I see. So you can, for example, give me all 
users that have an E5 license assigned that has uh, who hasn't logged in in the last three months. I see. Or you can say, give me all expired client secrets as a symbol. Or gotcha. So you can connect all these entities and filter on them. Yep. And then you get a view eventually of mm -hmm. all the matching artifacts, mm -hmm. which gets updated with every scan every day. Mm -hmm. And you see also what has changed, what has been removed from that right. view and what has been added. And based on that, and that's the last section, you can automate actions. So you basically, gotcha. we have a built-in workflow engine, if you want. Mm -hmm. So do you, then you can say, let's say, for example, you build a check, teams should have at least two owners. Mm. That's a simple requirement so that there's always a backup if somebody leaves the company. Sure. And then you build a check and then you build an automation on top of that check. Whenever a team matches that rule, then send that uh, current owner an email. He has to assign an additional owner. I and see. then as, as soon as he has done that, the condition is resolved, um, the team is no longer in the check and then the automation ends. Gotcha. So those checks are almost like the triggers, right? They say they sort of define exactly. if you meet the rule or if you don't meet the rule. And then if you don't meet the rule for whatever reason, then go and take these actions to go and try and rectify that. Exactly. Although you don't have to build an automation for a check. So we provide already, I think, at the moment, roughly about 100 checks in a library, which you can just, uh, I see. just add to your environment if you are interested in that. And you can build also dashboards and reports on all of that within the product. So gotcha. pretty similar to Power BI. So you can build all types of charts and build right. nice dashboards, share those dashboards on a schedule with your stakeholders within the organization, all that stuff. Gotcha. Um, so there's the insight sort of part of it, right? The, the analytics almost in some ways of keeping track of how you're going against certain metrics, right? Like number of sites or, you know, people that are interacting with sites or whatever it happens to be. And then it's up to you whether you take action on it. Because some of the some of those might be good things that you want to keep track of. And then there might be others that are bad things that you want to also keep okay. track of that you want to take action on. Gotcha. That's why we also provide already dashboard templates. So for example, there's a dashboard template that looks at costs, but there's also one that looks at mm. adoption. So adoption, maybe you want the numbers go up, but at costs, you might want to uh, numbers to go down right. or on external, external sharing. Okay. The files that are shared with externals who haven't uh, logged in for half a year. Okay, mm. you want to maybe remove that uh, these kind of uh, sharings. I so see. the the automations eventually allow you then even also to change things within your tenant if you right. grant us access. So we have a very granular access management. Means just for scanning and building checks, you only need to give us read access. Mm -hmm. But if you want to automate things and change things in a tenant, then you can add additional permissions gotcha. um, to do the changes then. I was going to say, so so some of the options for taking actions, you mentioned you know, something like sending somebody an email, for example. But the, you know, the other thing that sprung to mind was, what if I just want to take the action immediately and not have a person involved? So you can, you can add actions to automatically, I don't know, remove somebody's permissions to a document for external sharing, for example. Or you know, remove that user entirely, perhaps things like that. That sounds like a nice mix. What other kinds of interactions? So, when I want to take an action on on something, can I 
go do things like run a flow or do sort of more complicated approval processes or review processes and things like that? How does that stuff work? We added the automations actually just two weeks ago. So at the moment, the actions are still not complete or they will probably Mm -hmm. never be complete. So at the moment, what you can do is you can send emails, you can send messages into Teams, you can... Gotcha. Teams, nice. You can also modify properties, for example. So you can modify a user, you can modify a team. For example, you can say, hey, this team has external users, then it automatically has to have external in the title, in the name of the team. And then you can enforce that automatically. So you can Hmm. build a check that checks, is there external users in there? And does it not have external in its title? Okay, automate add it and then it will always automate that again even if somebody removes it the next time the scan runs it will be resetting that so you can enforce for example naming policies with that what we are so power automate the power automate connector is currently in the works so we have already one uh, released but when we are still in the middle of updating that one to meet uh, work with a new automations feature so then Mm. you will be just able to trigger any flow that you want and um, can pass along data as a payload and you can also use an API key to access data directly from within the flow. So we have an API for the product so that you can uh, pull out data if you want to. What we have already in there is a generic HTTP request. So you Mm -hmm. can basically send a post to any endpoint that you provide. You can add the payload, what you want to send with it, Mm -hmm. and then do whatever you want at the other side. So you can basically integrate with any kind of of service that has a webhook or your custom built endpoint, whatever, and just right. send data over and do something with it. We have already Azure Functions as an automation endpoint that you can send and just a generic webhook as well. So gotcha. and we're going to add more. So now that it, uh, the the basic framework is out there, what we released two weeks ago, now we're going to add actions basically on a weekly basis to extend what you can do, including approval action, for example, so that you can ask Mm -hmm. for approval um, through Teams from an end user and say, or just ask further insight and then it will be added back to the the automation. Very nice. I guess this this is really a horizontally applicable tool, right? I guess it was a horizontally applicable problem, right? Everybody Indeed, yeah. of any size has this problem, doesn't matter what industry you're in. But it can be pretty daunting, I imagine, for some organizations on how to get started with this. So what's your advice for, say, there's somebody listening to the show who's you know, sitting in a two or 3,000 person organization who's being berated about privacy and security and sprawl inside of their organization. What's your advice for them on just how to start thinking about this problem space and, you know, not necessarily just boil the ocean all at once, but how to get started? It sounds like your product will offer at least some way of getting a grasp on the problem that you've got. I imagine a lot of people don't fully realize the situation they're in as well. But what's the sort of the simplest way to get started with this problem if somebody's sort of feeling out of their depth and and uh, is being tasked with trying to wrangle some of this back into 
into control. At the beginning, well, you, it's more exploration. You still need to understand everything. So I think mm. like going down and writing a governance plan or defining policies without really having a clue what is what is going on in the tenant doesn't really help you. And the first step, in my opinion, is first, yeah, get an overview of everything. And this is uh, also why when you connect your tenant to Renko Governance, and you are, everything is already pre-set up with dashboards and reports and some checks so that you can get an understanding. I wouldn't automate anything at the beginning. I would mm. just try to, to see also over a couple of weeks how my data is changing. Maybe gotcha. something, some things are totally stagnant, nothing is changing, mm-hmm. then maybe it's not necessary to take action here at all at right. the moment because the problem is not getting worse. Might be bad, but it's not getting worse. Yep. And rather look at, okay, where are the changes where we need to take action now in order to avoid more problems from happening. I think that's that's the first start to get a first understanding. And Microsoft is not doing that, making it really easy for someone to do that because mm-hmm. there are, I don't know, alone of uh, Microsoft 365 has at least, I think, 40, 50 admin centers or so. Everything is uh, spread out everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And also you do not want to give maybe everyone who needs to explore that data access, admin access to an, through an admin center. So that's right. also often a problem, like um, what we hear from customers, that they have, for example, outsourced IT, and they have also outsourced governance to somebody, mm. um, but they don't want to give them admin access, access to their tenant. That right. uh, is impossible. Maybe it's also because it's different legal entities that are all in the same tenant, and with a solution that is basically gathering the data and allowing you to uh, totally separate permission management to decide, okay, who gets access to which data in which place makes it possible to um, delegate that also to more people, maybe mm. to somebody who's only focusing on Teams or somebody who's only right. focusing on SharePoint. And then they can start building it up, but all within the one tool and um, build from there um, going Makes on. Sense. This is yeah. general also a good good suggestion to start only with one service or with a few few services and not like everything. Look right. at maybe Just start what simple. is bothering you most most, maybe Teams mm. or SharePoint or You know, I've got a bit of a conspiracy theory about this with Microsoft that I want to float with you and get your thoughts on. I've often wondered why Microsoft doesn't do more in this space. And my theory goes that it's not in their best interests to for you to simplify what's in their cloud, right? That the more you get in there and the more sprawl and the more complicated things are, the more difficult it is to ever move. So, and so I've often wondered if that's by design. <laughs> uh, well, one reason for uh, SharePoint success was stickiness, right? All the yeah. all the customizations, all the, what you can build, even if it's just creating a list and adding your own columns and uh, using SharePoint as a relational database and whatever people have done with it, that yeah. created stickiness, which made it basically impossible for an organization ever to move away from it. And right. now it's basically not that much different. Microsoft is adding service after service on every side. If it makes sense or not, doesn't really matter to the organization. Just the more people adopt more thing within the service, the harder it will get to decide, yeah. um, let's go to, to G Suite or whatever uh, right. is still available. So 
I think this is indeed by design, not necessarily by design sprawl, yeah. but I, yeah. I guess it doesn't hurt. They want more users, they want more, more storage yeah. uh, be used, more teams created, more meeting minutes, everything needs to be more. I think that's fine, so long as you can manage it, right? And this whole topic has been about not necessarily stopping growth at all, but you are going to grow, and so how do you manage that growth in a way that is compliant and and in line with how you want to run your business and the, the laws as well and security and all of those things? The thing is that basically everything is constantly changing. So your organization is changing. Maybe you acquire other organizations or carve out organizations. Mm-hmm. So this is also causing changes within how you build your governance and what you need to enforce. Microsoft is constantly changing things, adding, deprecating things. So somehow you need to be on top of that. And mm-hmm. um, But it's you're always chasing at the end, um, no matter what. So the only way to succeed here is to somehow keep the overview, focus on the things that really, really cause problems, eventually cause mm-hmm. for your organization and uh, stay in control of that. And um, I think, yeah, Microsoft will not be able or not willing to help you with that entirely. Um, um, They focus on delivering good good software and a good uh, and increase adoption within the organization. Mm. So we'll see. So I know I know there are bound to be many listeners who are sitting there going, "Oh yeah, we've got this problem," and they're nodding their heads furiously, going, "Yep, that's a problem. This is a problem for us." So what's the What's the best way to get started with the work that you guys are doing with Rencore Governance? Where should they go? What can they do to, to sort of start dabbling in this and, um, and finding out more about, about what your offerings will help them with? So, yeah, well, the easiest way to start is to go on our website. So just go to rencore.com or just start the trial at app.rancor.com if you want to give it a try. As said, you don't need to connect your tenant. If you log in with your Microsoft account, it's really only authentication. So it's not, can be also a, a live account or a former live account, doesn't really matter. I think that is what makes some people hesitant because they fear mm. that they are already connecting their, their right. tenant. So and then just give it a try and have a look how this goes. Otherwise, if you're more into demos, then um, we do monthly um, product webinar, usually focused on on specific use cases, or we can just give you a, a 15-minute demo of it. So you can just gotcha. go on our website and ask for a demo, and then we'll set something up and walk you through how this could be applied to your specific challenges as well. At the end, everyone has different things that are important to them at the moment. Yeah, maybe. fair enough. Excellent. Well, that's that's been very helpful. Thanks for walking me through it and bringing us all up to date on on what you guys are up to in the space. It sounds really interesting. I know I know that uh, you're also moving house at the moment. I understand, and so I appreciate you carving out some time for us to come and talk about what you're up to and how it's helping people. I'm not that sad, to be honest. I think the last two days, I was only cleaning house, <laughs> the house where we are moving in. So, because you know, we had some renovations being done, and now it's like, yeah, gotcha. dirty all over. <laughs> so, gotcha. I'm quite happy to sit in front of my computer again once in a while and not having to <laughs> to to clean things. <laughs> well, I know it's I know it's been a long, 
you know, 18 months. It seems to have, for me, I don't know about for you, but it seems like such a long time that I haven't been at a conference or haven't been out in the community. I haven't seen you in person in a long time either. But in other ways, it's gone, it's gone by really fast and very slowly in some other ways. It's very strange. So uh, it's good to see a smiling face again. And I hope we <laughs> run into each other again in person at some stage in the future and, and uh, visit the next Rencore booth at a conference I go to and uh, come and see this thing in action. But I'm going to try it out. I'm going to, I'm going to go give you a trial a shot and see uh, what it tells me about the state of my you're tied in with one user. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, How many teams do you have for yourself? <laughs> uh, yeah, I love I love collaborating with myself. It's very productive. <laughs> no, but um, we're we're always also very happy getting feedback. So we have a feedback button right on the page everywhere where you can just drop in, make a screenshot directly within the page, or a video if you don't understand something or think something is missing or you would like some specific information that's extremely helpful for us. So we are trying to be extremely customer focused, building stuff that customers really need and not building the golden handles onto it, but rather things that really help you to succeed with that. So uh, please give also feedback. What do you think of it? That would be quite helpful. Absolutely. And users, I guess anybody who uses this tries it out, they can find you on Twitter or through your site and things like that to be able to get in touch with people if they want to talk more about it, get a demo, ask questions and uh, give feedback, no doubt. So look up Rencore on Twitter as well. All right. Well, thank you very much indeed for spending the time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for making the time and um, best of luck with the new product. I know you guys are off to a rocking start with it. So I wish you guys all the best. Thank you very much for having me. It was great to see you again and Cheers. talk to you again. Bye. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.